pray, hope, and don't worry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to a New York Catholic Conversation. My name is Deacon John Catalano, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, my pal from Rockville Center, New York, Frank Alasia. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Deacon. How's everything? Everything is great. Today, we're talking about Padre Pio, who we just quoted in that opening, a saint who was a charismatic Capuchin priest. A great devotion has been built up around him, as we know. And he was known for his charity and his piety, and also known to have a special charism. He bore the stigmata, which aligned him with the suffering Christ. So to start us off, Frank, why do you want to talk about Padre Pio today? Well, first of all, a lot of people do ask about him. Uh, when are you going to do a podcast on Padre Pio? And I right. think it's a good time. He has a great following, as we know, throughout the world. But here in New York, you know, you see more and more statues cropping up in parishes, especially on Long Island. Yeah. Uh, I think the fact he's a modern day saint who bore the wounds of Christ is why so many people are attracted to him today. I and mean, he's really a saint for our times also. Oh, yeah. Well, let's start with confession. Uh, he was known to hear confessions for like eight or nine hours a day, and the lines would be very long. We read that sometimes he could be harsh with people in the confessional, and some people testified that he could sort of read their minds while they were leaving out sins and so forth. Yeah, definitely. He, you have to remember that the, the confession line for him was, was days long. In other words, you had to make an appointment to hear for him to hear your confession, because that's how many people wanted to confess to him. And he could be tough in the confessional because, look, he knew the seriousness and the ugliness of sin. Um, and he kept, and he could read souls and he was impatient with people who were insincere, insincere or, you know, were trying to conceal something from right. him. But he also had great compassion. You know, Padre Pio said there are two kinds of love. There is a love of indulgence when accommodating someone to please them. And then there is another type of love, compassion, like a feeling of sadness at misfortune, at seeing the misfortune of others, which, you know, wants us to help them. Almost like, you know, we've, we've all gone through it with our kids every now and then when they, you see them going down the wrong road. That's how he viewed these sinners. He really was compassionate and wanted to help them. He wanted to save souls. Okay, so we know he bore the stigmata, the wounds of Christ in his hands and feet, which he covered with gloves and socks and, and a wound in his chest as well. And he complained mostly about this pain in his shoulder, which he believed came from his carrying of the cross, right? It was, the, yeah, it was Christ's most painful wound also. And, you know, a lot of people don't don't realize that. And he had that same uh that same wound that he said also that's what caused him the most pain that shoulder wound yeah it, within the church of saint john the baptist on 31st street in manhattan there's a small shrine housing a number of unusual relics of his including a socket a glove that he wore and in fact a number of padre pio's relics have been touring the united states and including parishes in westchester county recently and these events draw great crowds but I've read that after bearing the stigmata for over 50 years, Frank, when he died, these visible signs in his body had disappeared. Yeah, they did. And that's what, um, you know, really confounds the doctors, because if you've had wounds like that, um, they always leave a scar. And when Padre Pio passed, there wasn't a scar left. 
And that really mem uh, you know, mirrors the, the resurrection of Christ, the risen Christ, right? It, and when every, all the suffering has now gone. Yeah. And it's a beautiful kind of uh, parallel because he was really the living image of Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, he had a special association with three saints in particular. St. Dominic, because he was known to say the rosary unceasingly, Padre Pio. Mm -hmm. St. Francis of Assisi, because he was also a Franciscan who bore the stigmata. And Catherine of Siena, because he, like her, was a defender of the papacy, right? Yeah, absolutely. The rosary with St. Dominic, he was kind of almost never like not seeing saying the rosary. Right. Um, the interesting story, there was a story about um, St. Francis, and I'll, I'll give, you, give, give it to you. There was no barrier between the supernatural and the ordinary in his everyday life. And there once was a woman who grabbed him and said to Padre Pio, I, I understand that you see St. Francis often. And she said, listen, the next time you see St. Francis, would you please ask him to say hello to my parents in heaven? And he, he responded by saying, I can do that myself. In other words, he, he could deliver the message himself to St. Francis. He was an intercessor. What right. about, what I mean, about one the world? Yeah. One, one foot was in this world and one world, one foot was in the next, you know, it's hard to comprehend. What about the Pope defending the papacy? Well, he his obedience to the church and the Pope were unwavering and, and anybody who criticized the Pope or the church, he, he would, he, his response was how dare you criticize your mother. So he was totally loyal and obedient. Which is surprising because he became so popular early on that the Vatican initially imposed severe sanctions on him to reduce this publicity about him. It forbade him from saying mass in public or even communicating with Padre Benedetto, his spiritual director at the time. The church authorities decided that he should be relocated to another friary in northern Italy, but the local people threatened to riot. So the Vatican left him where he was. But by 1933, we read that the tide began to turn. Pius XI ordered a reversal of the ban on Padre Pio's public celebration of Mass. And he said, I have not been badly disposed toward Padre Pio, but I have been badly informed. Now, Pius XII comes along and uh, in 1939 encouraged devotees to visit Padre Pio. Yes. And finally, after Vatican II in the mid-60s, Pope, uh, Pope Paul VI dismissed all accusations against Padre Pio. And in 2002, as you know, John Paul II canonized Padre Pio a saint. Yes, he did. Uh, let me say something about the, the charisms. And Padre Pio understood what, why, why this ban took place because he, the church doesn't want, didn't want the hysteria and they right. didn't want people worshiping Padre Pio. And Padre Pio understood that because he always pointed everybody to the Blessed Mother and to Jesus himself. He was embarrassed about these wounds. He covered them all the time because he didn't want to be the object of the attention. Right. And, and, and the church, no, charisms are one thing, holiness is another, and a person is canonized because of their heroic virtues, not because of their charisms. And that's why this ban was, was enforced, and, and he, was, he was okay with it. You know? oh, a charism is a gift from the Holy Spirit that, that right. we use to help the church, and he certainly did that. But what about John Paul II? Yeah, John Paul II. My cousin had visited um, Padre Pio's village um, about 10 years after he passed, and he spent 
five days with Padre Alessio, who took care of Padre Pio late in his life. Mm -hmm. And there's two stories that I'll, that I'll tell you that he, that he told him. In 1944, um, Carol Waitiwa was a seminarian. He wasn't even a priest yet. And some of his friends, the other seminarians, would go to San Giovanni Rotundo to see this charismatic priest who bore the wounds of Christ. And, you know, John Paul II at the time. Carol, he didn't want to go, right? You know, he, you know, he went reluctantly because he's an intellectual and he's thinking, what are they telling this guy doing miracles down there? And, you know, but they got him to go and Padre Pio pulls him aside out of the group and talks to him in private for quite a while. And when he, when he got back, he was white as a ghost, Carol Waitiwa, because Padre Pio had told him, prepare yourself one day you will be Pope. So he told Carol Voitia then that yeah. he was going to one day be Pope. He predicted it. in 1962, he went back as the Bishop of Krakow. Right. And he came on a visit to see Padre Pio. And when he got home, he wrote him a letter about a friend of his, a woman doctor. She was a mother of six and she's dying of cancer. And her condition was terminal and surgery was considered useless. Now, Padre Pio received hundreds of letters like this every week in all languages, but he told the secretary to preserve this one as well as the one that had arrived was going to arrive six weeks later. The second letter was full of fervent thanks and was signed by the husband, the woman and their six children. She was completely healed. So they had they had a very a very special relationship, Padre Pio and Saint John Paul II. Nice. Now he was named Francesco Forgione. Uh, as a child, he was said to be a beautiful child, looked like an angel, and neighbors called him Il Bello Francesco for his temperament and his appearance. Yes. But he was somewhat sickly as he, as he as he grew. He had a poor appetite. He had nausea. There was insomnia, and so forth. And he carried that illnesses, those, those illnesses through into adulthood. His father, Orazio, sacrificed for him. His father came to America to work and save money so that his son could enter the seminary. And he worked as a laborer in Jamaica, Long Island, and in Flushing. Mm -hmm. And I've yeah. heard that he worked on the Long Island Railroad, which is why it's part of the reason why there's a big time uh, devotion to Padre Pio. But this work that he did in New York, uh, he was able to send enough money back to secure a teacher for Pio. And this tutor was able to educate Pio enough that at the age of 15, he entered the Capuchin novitiate in 1903 and began his road to the priesthood. Yeah, he, he, he definitely, he had to come here because he had to raise money for him. But, you know, you talked about the, the other story you talked about was his, his ability to read minds. And, he, and one day, Father Joseph, another, another uh, monk who was, who was uh, taking care of him as he got older, they were sitting on the veranda and in his mind, Father Joseph was thinking, how lucky am I? Who should I give thanks to? Now, this is all he's thinking this. Who should I give thanks to? Padre Pio or the Madonna? <laughs> Looking straight ahead, a second after that thought popped into his head, Padre Pio just said La Madonna. Yeah. OK, so he. That, that leads me into the next one of his gifts or capabilities, which is this phenomenon of bilocation. Yes. Padre Alessio, who you mentioned, he took care of him in the friary. And Padre Alberto and Father Dominic, others who took care, would be with him, talking or praying or just sitting with him. And at the very same time, people would come forward later and say that he had appeared to them at that time. 
that they were aware of his presence at that moment. He was, in fact, in two places at once. Yes. And there were sightings of him from places all around Europe and the world. And he was even seen at the canonization of St. Therese of Lisieux in the Vatican in 1925, even though he never traveled from San Giovanni Rotonda, right? Right, right. And one of the stories that Padre Alessio, I told my cousin, was one night in the summer, he was, he kept asking Padre Alessio for blankets, more blankets. He was, he was freezing cold. And Padre Alessio told my, my cousin that he had biolocated that night. And that's why he was in a cold climate. And that's why he felt he felt that cold. So I yeah. thought that was that two was places at one time. Now, the other thing, too, is that many people testified to this fragrance of roses and violets, a distinct odor of sanctity or holiness that emanated from his body. It was an aroma that was difficult to describe, but that people could smell even when they just felt his presence. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, the wounds had that had that smell. And, you know, you know, there were also stories of people who had prayed to Padre Pio and all of a sudden they get that aroma. It was kind of like an, an answer to their prayers, maybe. You know, it's the same thing like with St. Teresa, little flower, like roses are her kind of hallmark. People will see roses or they'll smell roses or, but that's that's called the odor of sanctity. Um, and he, ha he had that also. Yeah, you know, the impression that it makes on me <clears throat> as a deacon, I serve with many different priests and some bishops at mass. Um, Padre Pio lived to celebrate the mass. And we've read that he would celebrate the mass for over two hours at times. It just, he was so, so devoted to every part of the mass that it went on for forever, right? Yeah, a woman once asked him, do your feet hurt standing for three hours? He said, at the mass, I don't stand, I hang. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And I'll tell you that I, I, when I was a kid, you know, in, on Long Island in the late 60s, when he had passed away, the black and white photos that I saw at the time did not make a great impression on me. I wasn't drawn in at the time, but over the years, and particularly since I've been ordained, I will tell you that his incredible reverence when celebrating the liturgy has made a yeah. great impression on me and his dedication to saving souls, as you mentioned earlier about confession and his obedience to the church and to the will of God through his whole life is a tremendous impression. But let me ask yeah. you this. Most of us don't carry the stigmata. We don't have the ability to, to bilocate. So the average reverend Catholic, Frank, what would you say we could draw from Padre Pio? Well, some of the things that he said that we can really relate to, and I think we can all understand is, he said, the greatest offense to God is when we think he has abandoned us in our greatest time of need. God never abandons us. He said, don't insult you know, God's love by thinking he's abandoning you. And number two, he said, and this is true, what we see, we see only what affects us, but not what we are being spared. And, and when you really think about it, that kind of hit home for me. And then the last thing I'll leave you with is he told one of his spiritual daughters, always aim for the better and take a step every day in the vertical direction. In other words, go towards Christ. In the spiritual life, we're never not going somewhere, we're either going up or we're going down. We're never staying the same. So I thought that was great advice. Amen. That sounds great. Hey, folks, don't forget, if your podcast platform allows it, please follow us or, or like us or send us an email at anycatholicconversation at gmail.com. anycatholicconversation at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, Frank, good job. Love talking to you about this. And I'll see you next time. Okay. Deacon, thanks very much.